I have been really encouraged by the series um, in this last month on the Banner series. And I want to encourage you, if you're um, here today and you would like to consider membership in our church, we're having a class at 5 o'clock at our home. Josh will be sharing a little bit more information about that. The church is on the verge of becoming a self-governing and sovereign church for the first time. And so we're really excited about that, looking forward to that. So uh, we're forming a, a board uh, at the church as well. And uh, we're just really grateful that uh, God has brought us to this place. I also want to say last week, I was jumping for joy, even though it was 150 degrees in the building. We had subs in there working, and they're building a foundation of the outside area where the coffee shop is. The framers coming in this week. The electricians coming in this week. I'm just going to go down the list. And uh, and I'm absolutely thrilled. So we're moving forward on the building, and um, things are really beginning to happen. So the chairs came in 250 beautiful chairs, church chairs. They came in as well and had those unpacked. Uh, so we're really excited. The Banner Church in, in the series, if you've been here in the last month, it, I, I, I love the series that we've just gone through because we know that biblically uh, the Lord is our banner. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our banner. And I've reminded myself that I've been praying that prayer, reminding myself, Lord, you are my banner. You're my covering. You're my authority. And we spoke about this uh, in the last few weeks. But I was thinking this week as I was preparing for this new series, it's a series on the life of Daniel, and it's Living an Uncompromised Life is the title of this new series that we're going to go through for the next four weeks. And I thought about that many of you, and as a, as a pastor, I really try to hear the heartbeat of the sheep and where they're at and where they're coming from. And I felt like the Lord really speak to me this past week that many of you, that, and I don't realize the full significance of this, is you're in change, you're in transition, some of you are searching for a church, some of you uh, have come out of a church where maybe you uh, are kind of confused of, you know, what this is all about, and there's a lot of change going on in, in transition, and I recognize that in changes and transitions in our life, and Bridget and I understand this fully because we've navigated uh, in leadership many scenarios where there was a lot of change and transition and no one scenario was like the other one. It was so different. And in that, I think that there's sometimes a vulnerability that can take place in our life that in transitions present potential for victories, of course, but also for vulnerabilities. It can make us really vulnerable. And we have to remind ourselves here this morning that the Lord truly is our banner in these situations. And what I see in the book of Daniel that is so unique to me is that Jerusalem was under siege by Nebuchadnezzar and it's actually taken. And they actually take some of these people from Jerusalem to Babylon. And there's this huge change in transition. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of that thought in our mind that as a believer, many of us have been in this place, Lord, are you here? Are you in the middle of my situation and in the middle of my circumstance? Because sometimes the circumstances that we find ourselves in, it's very challenging and difficult to always honor the Lord. Somebody say amen to that. And I've been there over the past year with all of the ups and downs and the challenges with the permit and, and the different things that we have shared. I've been in those moments and, and it's just, it's like, I don't like this kind of change and transition that I'm in because I don't know the outcome and because I don't know the outcome, I can't control my future. Don't you wish you could just control what happens in your future? I really would love that. But God's like, you know what, I'm not going to let that happen because you would have no reason for faith or trust in me if you could really control your future. 
but it makes us all, I think, in different ways somewhat vulnerable. And we have to remember that we need to stay under the covering. And what's really unique about Daniel and his three friends, they were just teenagers at the time as they're brought to Babylon to be trained to serve in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. But what is so amazing to me that they found themselves in this huge transition and change, a new culture, a new city, that, you know, they've, they've lost family connections and everything and they're actually you know taken hostage like slaves in this place but yet Daniel and his friends and it's really just four Hebrew teenagers but there was something about these four Hebrew teenagers that was very unique and and very special that they thought well you know what we don't understand all this it's very confusing this is a change that we didn't foresee we didn't plan on it doesn't isn't something I would have chosen but they were able to honor God in their circumstance and I think this is so key for many of you here today that you know that I'm not going to compromise my faith in the word of the Lord. I know that God is still faithful. I know that God is still merciful. Even though my feelings are going up and down like a roller coaster and and I I feel just kind of disoriented, I feel displaced. And I've talked to many people in the church like that, that especially in change and transition, I mean, we're not in our building. I I feel when I come in here sometimes, I feel really displaced because I know this is only temporary, but yet the fact remains in my heart. I want to be like a Daniel in my heart and say, God, I'm going to honor you wherever I'm at in whatever circumstance that I'm in. I'm just going to honor you. And I know that there truly is a purpose for the reason that you're here this morning, it's no accident. I never feel like when people walk through the door, they actually stumbled upon Banner Church and like, oh, I'm here, you know. I feel like really the Lord, whether you know it or not, led you to this place for a reason, for a word. Even if you never come again, hopefully the word of the Lord will impact your heart today and give you a truth that you can live on and really take with you. And there's a transformation that, that takes place. And this title, Living an Uncompromised Life, is important for us today and the culture in which we live, especially as a believer, because there's so much change going on in our culture, politically, economically, sociologically in our culture as well. There's a lot of transition and change, and it's hard for us to keep up sometimes, but the thing that grounds us is the word of the Lord, and Daniel demonstrates this in in really a miraculous way that I'm going to honor God. I'm not going to live an uncompromised life because of the pressures that I feel here and there, and even though he seemed vulnerable He's removed from the covering of his family, from Jerusalem, and from the king that was there. And they're really just kind of just taken hostage, literally, to Babylon. But yet, he understands that I'm going to keep myself under the banner of God. And I'm going to let him be my covering. And he purposed in his heart, we're going to read here in a moment, that I'm going to honor the Lord. I'm not going to back away in my faith. I'm not going to compromise my convictions because the circumstance I'm in is not a perfect scenario. I'm the most vulnerable in my life when I'm not in my comfort zone, you know, when I'm in circumstances where I feel pressure and I'm uncomfortable, I don't know the outcome, what's going to happen. It does make me vulnerable and a lot of times where it shakes my faith. It's like a, a faith-shattering situation a lot of times and I've got to get my, my bearings back again and know that, that God is still on the throne. God is still in the middle of my situation and I'm going to learn how to trust him and put my faith in him on a daily basis and honor him no matter what. And that's what Daniel did living an uncompromised life. 
The name Daniel means God is my judge. And I think this is really um, specific, this name that God is my judge. And there was a unique quality about Daniel's character that gave his life substance and courage. Really, the bottom line is this. He was only interested in pleasing God. And there's a mindset there. It's like, I, I want to please God in my actions and my words and my mindset. I, I don't always reach the mark. I know that there's times that I do and say things where it's not pleasing to the Lord. And I go back. And, and I think God can so appreciate when we go back to the Lord and, forgive, and ask God forgiveness. It's like, Lord, I know what I just did is not pleasing to you. I want to rectify that. But in my heart, in the integrity of my heart, I want to do what is right. And I think that's all that God expects, but, but Daniel was unique in this, this quality about his character that I believe really gave him the substance and the courage to do what he did throughout this book. He became a, a, an amazing prophet. They say that nowhere in scripture does it say that he ever failed God. He's one of the few prophets that, that lived this upstanding life of godly character without compromising or backing away from his convictions, even when it put him in a situation where he was put in a fiery furnace where he could have died. He was thrown into the pit of a lion's where he could have died. But it's like, you know what? I'm not going to back away. I'm not going to compromise. If I lose my life, I lose my life. But I just simply want to please God in everything that I do. That's amazing to me. It's just a perspective, a mindset, an attitude that, that literally helps guide his life in so many different ways and, and the decisions, and he does it back away, but yet he has something about his life. He does it very gracefully. He does it in such a way where he's very sensitive to the spirit of God in his life, and he does it like, not like he's holding up a picket sign like, I won't do this, but he's very graceful and sensitive how he does it, and I want to speak about that this morning. He's a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. And we live in such a day where it's very difficult to separate that. I, I want to please God, but there's a lot of times I want to please people too because I don't want to be rejected. I, I don't want to be cast aside. I, I, I want people to like me, but there are moments and times where I have to take a stand knowing that when I do that, that somebody's not going to like me. Jesus was probably the best example of that where he had a made-up mind. He purposed in his heart. He just wanted to please the Father. He said, I just do what the Father tells me to do. If you don't like it, I'm sorry, but I have to do what the Father tells me to do. He was a God-pleaser. And in that, a lot of people got upset because he wouldn't conform to the religious ways of the culture that he was ministering in. He wouldn't conform even sometimes the disciples like, you don't want to go there. And he wouldn't conform to that. It's like, I just want to please the Father and what he's told me to do. And it cost him at times, but yet it set him apart as such a great leader that people knew that I can trust Jesus because he does what the Father tells him. And I know that the words that he speaks, there's no selfish agenda there. There's no selfish motive there that he's speaking from the heart of the father and that's the kind of leader that I know that I can trust now as a pastor that that's a great challenge to a spiritual leader that I don't want to just tell the people what they want to hear I I want to speak truth and I think in this younger generation that maybe we've watered down stuff so much but really in the millennial generation uh, they, they want to know what is true they, they want to hear just lay it out like it is whether I agree with it or not but I would respect it more if you just tell me what your convictions are and where you stand and I think we need to bring that back to the church Daniel certainly did, and in verse chapter 1, if you would go there in the first a few verses, seven verses, let's read those together. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, 
Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And it's interesting, in verse 2, he said that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. In other words, God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come in, besiege the city, and defeat them. There was a tremendous amount of idolatry going on in Jerusalem at the time, and God gave them warning after warning after warning. And I just want to make mention that when we're functioning in an area of our life where there's compromise and we're not living in a compromised life, God doesn't just like zap us with a bolt of lightning and say, you're done, boom. But God sends prophets to bring warnings and giving opportunity and, and, and chances for people to come back to the heart of the Lord and, and, and stop being a man pleaser and being a God pleaser and not allowing some of those things. And God will always send a prophet, and I know he has in our life, and usually he'll send a prophet through someone that we have a relationship with. It could be a wife or a husband, a son or a daughter. It could be a friend. It could be a spiritual leader. And we don't even realize it sometimes, but always in the Bible, I see even with David and so many that God sent prophets to their life to bring them back into alignment under the covering that we spoke about last week. And God certainly did that, but it got to a point where it's like even the prophets couldn't capture their attention to bring them back into an uncompromised lifestyle. So God says, okay, I've warned you, I've sent prophets, I'm trying and then he allows him to be sieged, and Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and the Lord gave him, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the articles, even of the house of God, he carried with him to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. And then the king instructed Ashmanaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. He's just picking the best of the best here. Young men in whom there was no blemish, good looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, and had the ability to serve in the king's palace whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Now I talked to my son who is a graduating history and he ancient history and he's telling me dad Babylon at this time was like the Oxford and the Harvard this was the educational center of the world for literature and education I mean this was the highest level that you could possibly imagine that they're coming into where they're going to train them and now from among the sons in verse 6 the sons of Judah were Daniel Hananiah Michelle and Azariah, and to them the chief of the eunuchs gave names, and he gave Daniel. He changes their name and identity, which I think is a part of this indoctrination. It's like, I don't want those Hebrew names in my palace spoken, but I want them to have different names that represent different identity. And he gives Daniel the name of Belshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Michelle, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. We've all heard those four names. So here we are with four t Hebrew teenagers in the palace getting ready with a name change, an identity change, being trained to serve in the palace before King Nebuchadnezzar. And you talk about a radical transition and change that, that happens in our life so oftentimes. It's like, you know, why didn't God save us or protect us from this? Why, I mean, all the why questions, why this, why that, why did this happen? You know, we trusted the Lord. We didn't bend our hearts to an idol. We didn't bow down to a foreign God. But we're paying the price for an ungodly king. 
in Jerusalem, why would we have to pay the price for this ungodly leader? And now we've been taken from our home, taken from our family and our friends and our culture and everything that was comfortable and great. And now we're in this palace being indoctrinated to serve the king forever and ever. Can you imagine the mindset of what they're feeling and thinking? It's a radical transformation, a radical uh, transition, I should say, a radical change for them. And there's a decision I think that has to be made with many of you in this situation, as I said earlier, that, you know what, I don't have answers for this. I, there's so many why questions I have. When I get to heaven, I've got a long list of questions I want to ask the Lord. Why this? Why that? Why that? And I can't wait to ask him. But while I'm here on this earth, I've never discovered in the word of God in there anywhere where it says, you know, you have to understand. But what I discover in scripture is, it's just trust me. You've got to trust. But I don't always have to understand things. And I'm sure they didn't fully understand, but they're going to honor God in their hearts. And so verse number eight, I think, really is the key to this chapter. It's, if you remember one verse in the chapter that we're reading together, remember, please, this particular verse. It says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies or with the wine that he drank. He was basically made up his mind beforehand when this was presented that I'm not going to do that. And we know that the wine and the delicacies and the food was offered to idols before it was presented to them. And basically he knows it's, it's not kosher, I'm sure. And it's been offered to idols and the conviction of his heart, thinking, I, I can't defile myself, I can't do this. I, I'm going to live an uncompromised life here, even though I'm in this setting. Nobody would know. I'm not in Jerusalem. I mean, nobody probably would care. But in my heart, I know that this is a conviction. I'm not going to defile myself with this. So here he is. And he said, I, he purposed in his heart. And this is a huge key for us as a believer this morning, that when we encounter a situation where it's like, um, Nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to know. You know, and God's given us this conviction uh, about something in Scripture that's important to us. And the Lord's like, you know, you need a purpose in your heart. You need to have a made-up mind. Or let me tell you something, you probably will compromise. <laughs> you probably will. And I've been in situations like that with even some of my Christian friends. It's like, oh, come on, nobody's going to know. And when I was younger as a teenager especially, you know, and, and I remember when we graduated uh, from high school, and I had just a small group. I mean, most of the Christians at Prescott High School where I grew up were closet Christians, and they rarely came out of the closet because they didn't want the persecution. But when I was one of those that lived out of the closet, and I had all of the, the name changes as well. They didn't call me Dana. They called me Dudley, Dudley Do-Right, and, and all that Jesus. Jesus freak and all of those things that I got called and I just endured it all the way through high school. And I, I never forget, and after the graduation, I thought, well, I've got a handful of friends, we're going to go out and just celebrate or whatever. And in Prescott, I don't think they still do this now. People would probably be just like shocked. But when I grew up there out of high school, that the police literally would rope off this mountain, this mountain area. They would rope it off and let all the students go in there and drink and drug to their heart's content all night long. But the, the thing was, they wouldn't let anybody out. They thought, well, they're going to do it anyway. Let's rope it off and make it secure for them. And they go in there and they just get bombed out of their mind for the night and celebrate the graduation. That happened every year. The police condoned it. This is a small town, Prescott. And I thought, well, I know I'm not going to go to that. I purposed in my heart before the graduation that, no, I, I'm not going to do it. Then my, my, 
my closet Christian friends is like, come on, you know, we're only going to graduate months from high school. Let's, let's go in there and party. Come on, Dana. Let's, you know, it's just this one-time thing. And I'm like, no, I've, I've already made up my mind. You know, it's like, what are you guys even going there for? So they went without me. And the roped-off area on the mountain there for the big grad party. And, and I never forget. And I went home. And it, I don't say this to gain pity, but I'm sitting in my room. I'm thinking, well... This is not so fun. I mean, yes, it's like I'm, I'm going to celebrate here by myself. But I never forget when the Lord was saying to me in that moment in my room at the end, it's like you purposed in your heart. You made up your mind. I'm like, oh, I did. But it really kind of stinks. You know? <laughs> but what I found later on is that many of those individuals had come back in parts and areas of my phases of my ministry, and many of them came to Christ through my words and my action. It was the testimony that I lived through high school, and I saw fruit from it years later of some of those individuals that were a part of my circle of friends at that time. He had a made-up mind. There's one quote that says that nothing is more stoppable than a made-up mind. Nothing is more stoppable than a made-up mind, someone who is purposed in their heart. And we see this in verse number nine, he goes on that God brought Daniel into the favor and the goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs immediately because he's a man with a made-up mind. He's walking in this integrous spirit like a Joseph, literally. And God gives him favor and goodwill with a leader, with someone who's in authority over him. And let me tell you something, if you're here this morning and you're in a work scenario, a school scenario, God will give you favor and goodwill with anyone in authority over you that's even asking you to go against something that you have a conviction about. God will give you favor with that individual. Because they see that you're different and they see that, that you're standing alone on your own two feet. It's like, I'm willing to pay the price, but this is just, it's not like I'm preaching in their face and whatever, but this is my conviction. I was taught as a young minister, be careful not to preach your convictions because that will always breed legalism in a church when you get up in there, just spout off all your convictions. Be careful to qualify, this is my personal conviction, but just preach the word of God and the word will do the work. The truth will transform and change. Just preach the word, Holy Spirit will illuminate it to people's hearts and minds and it will bring change to their life. So I'm very careful not to share a lot of convictions from the pulpit. And if I do, I qualify it saying this is my conviction. I'm not forcing this in the church or making this a rule or a regulation. Let's just build our lives on scripture and I think this is what Daniel did. But he had favor and goodwill. Verse 10, the chief said to Daniel, I fear my king who appointed your food and drink for he should see your face looking worse than the young men who are your age than when in danger my head before the king's gonna cut off my head if you don't eat this food and become strong and healthy like the other guys that are here. So Daniel just said to the steward, the chief of the he said, you know, just give me, give me a test in verse 12. For, let me do this for 10 days. Just give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. This is the Daniel diet. Keep in mind, if you're a vegetarian, maybe you should realize it's only for 10 days. No, I just thought. I mean, I don't know if I could go 10 days with vegetables. But he did. And some of the vegetarians are here like, I'm going to talk to Dana after the service. I'm not going to. I feared the Lord King who appointed the food and drink. But, and he said, just, just test us in this. And so in verse 13, let our appearance be examined before you in the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, deal with your servants. So whatever, if, we, 
if we kind of get frail and weak and skinny, then do whatever you need to do. We'll submit to it. And so they did that, and at the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better, it said in verse number 15, and fatter in flesh. I looked at that word fatter in the Hebrew, and it means fatter. <laughs> so, uh, in the flesh that only made the portion of the king's elegance, thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that were drink, and they just gave them vegetables and and. Daniel, first of all, he takes a stand. He's like, this is the life, the uncompromising life, the way of the uncompromised life. I don't want to eat food and defile myself. And he did it, and his friends did it, and God did an amazing miracle. Which he always does when we stand, when we purpose in our heart according to the word of God, and we stand on our conviction. God gives us favor and goodwill. God gave them, they were better and fatter. And then it says in verse number 18, at the end of the days, the king said that she brought in before him and he interviewed them among and all was none like Daniel and Ananias, Michelle and Azariah and they served before the king in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined. He found them 10 times better than the magicians and the astrologers who were in his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Their career, their ministry was set into motion and all the during this time, they, they were better, fatter, favor, goodwill, knowledge, skill, wisdom, understanding because of just one simple conviction that they stood on saying, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to, you know, nobody would care. It's not a big deal, but it's my conviction. And they demonstrate to us, and I think in such an amazing way, what happens when we live an uncompromised life. Now, I understand from the story, I mean, this is a good part of the story, but when we get into chapter 3 and 6, it talks about how they were tested again because they wouldn't bow down to the idols, threw them in a fiery furnace, threw them in the pit of lions. And this is an important concept for us to understand that when we are going through change and transition as believers and we take a stand, we choose to honor God, and we, we choose to be a God pleaser over being a man pleaser. I, I, I can prophesy to you, I can promise you that there's gonna be moments where you feel like your, your, your faith is being tested. What Peter says in the first chapter, he says that it's like a fiery furnace. It's that your faith is tested like a fiery furnace, and it just removes all the chaff away. It's more precious and pure than fine gold. It's a part of the Holy Spirit's mechanism to shape and mold our life. It, it, it's a part of discipleship that nobody wants to talk about. It's called the, the school of the Holy Spirit. That I, As a pastor, it's like I can't prevent that from happening in your life. Some of you sitting here today, I just talked to a few of you flow. You, I mean, in our house, we witness it where you fall down. You've been through this furnace of, of testing for the last few weeks and still recovering physically. I mean, it, it's been a fiery furnace, and, but yet you're here today with your husband, hallelujah, and worshiping the Lord. And it's like, you know what, I'm going to live a, a life that's uncompromised. I'm not going to give up my faith because of, of a 
crazy accident and, and whatever in that, but I'm going to continue to serve the Lord, and, and I know that my God is able. He's going to bring a full healing to my body. I, I don't understand why that happened, but it happened. There's going to be a pit where times where you'll feel like, I just feel like I'm in the pits, and I'm surrounded by all of my enemies and accused like lions just wanting to lash out at me. And the, and the Bible clearly says that the devil's like this roaring lion just going all around wanting to find someone that he can just literally devour. I can't promise you, you won't be in the pits at times as you live this uncompromising life. There'll be moments where you'll be saying this like, God, are you here? God, are you with me? God, I, I, I took a stand for you. Lord, I sat in my bedroom on that night after that graduation and I sat there thinking, God, this is, this is not much of a celebration. But let me tell you something. In the heavenlies, there was a celebration because there was a young man at 18 years old that purposed in his heart and mind before that graduation ceremony that I won't go through that gate. It's not worth it. It's, it's one night. It's not worth it. I don't want to look back on my life and even my, my time in high school as a student and regret. It's like, why did I do that? It was one of the dumbest things I've ever done. And there's pits and there's furnaces that God will take us through just like he, he did with Daniel and his friends. But I want you to remember something this morning, that this is where we see God show up in the most miraculous ways and where men and women of God are formed into anointed servants just like Daniel. The greatest miracles in my life personally the greatest miracles in the church are those moments when we're on the verge of just thinking, let's just, let's just compromise a little bit so that we can get this thing through and we can get it done. And God's like, I'm not going to have that. I'm more interested in your character and your life and your, your personal relationship with me. I can make all those other things happen that you're frustrated with, but I'm interested. Are you willing to purpose in your heart? Are you a man? Are you a woman who has a made-up mind? And there's even issues in all of our lives today, if we're really honest, that I'm, I'm thinking of in my life. It's like, uh, you know, like that. And, and, and I haven't come to that, that, that moment in my life where it's like I have this made-up mind, I purpose in my heart of what is right biblically that I need to do, but I'm just kind of hoping maybe God will change his mind and make this a little bit easier and let me just fudge a little bit because I don't like pain. I don't like to suffer. I don't like it when my faith is tested so much. I don't like it when I get alienated by my friends and family because I'm taking a stand. I don't like the rejection or the persecution. Jesus went through all of those moments, but it's like, I just want to do what the Father told me to do. That's what I'm here for. And if that's the kind of leader you think you can trust and follow, then come follow me and be my disciple. If not, I'm sorry, but this is who I am. And I think it's a watershed moment for so many of us. I've purposed in my heart that I'm not going to defile myself with a portion of the king's delicacies. My son Jamin is, was in the middle of a book. I didn't know until yesterday he was reading this book. It's called Against the Flow, the Inspiration of Daniel in an Age of Relativism. I'm like... I'm just getting ready to do a series on Daniel. You need to bring that book out. And he brings it out, and it's written by John Lennox, and I would recommend it, highly recommend John Lennox is a, a great scholar and teacher at Oxford University in England and a very strong believer. 
And so I thought, well, I'm gonna, I went to chapter one, some of his notes. I haven't even really got into the book, but I was so impressed. And he says, Daniel's conviction that he must honor God irrespective of the consequences is impressive. But so also is the sensitive way in which he went about his protest in taking this stand. And he understood the responsibilities of the officials and what their fears were, and he was careful to respect their feelings. And there's this simple but important lesson here for us that Daniel took time. He was not in a frantic hurry. He was sensitive to others' need for space. And sometimes we forget that the Christian message is very strange and new to many people. People haven't been steeped in the church. I mean, when you start talking about the blood of Jesus washing away our sins, people, I mean, I've heard believers that have never heard that stuff before. It's like, that's, that's really grotesque. When you're talking about the blood of Jesus and washing away my sin, I, they just don't connect with it right away. It contains ideas which are not familiar and we need to give them space to assimilate. It's so easy by sheer quantity of our arguments to make interested people feel they're being crowded out. We must give people space to breathe or we'll only put them off and the fault will be ours, he says. He said, in other words, we don't look at people in the world as a target for our salvation to win another convert, get another number in the church, but we need to look at them as a person that I'm, I'm interested in you in a, as a person and I would like to be your friend regardless whether you convert or not. And that's effective evangelism. So I just want to connect and be your friend. I'm interested in you as a person. I'm not just targeting you for a number in my church and, and just another body in the service so that I can, you know, the big numbers and people will be impressed that we're growing as a church. But you know what? I, I just want a friendship. It's your choice. Nobody's going to force you to believe or not believe. To me, that is a tremendous approach. Jesus did it. And Daniel did this throughout his ministry as we're going to see in this book that he did this very thing. He learned how to be sensitive, respectful, God gave him favor, but yet he lived a life that was uncompromising. True leaders have learned how to stand totally alone in their faith and encourage themselves in the Lord. David said in the Psalms, I'm encouraging myself in the Lord when he was in the caves all alone being pursued. Saul wanted to kill him. A true leader, it was a test of true leadership. I'm in change, I'm in transition. I've been displaced from my family and my friends and my culture and my language like a Daniel. But yet he was able to stand alone and encourage himself in the Lord because he was a true leader and said, I'm still gonna live a life that's uncompromising even in the midst of this palace. I'm gonna do what the Father God tells me to do. I know that the Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nisi, and I'm sure he prayed that prayer and I'm gonna stay under the covering of my Father even in this situation. They've purposed in their hearts and they've made up their minds. I called Chandler yesterday. I'm like, Chandler, I, I, I always think of the statistic where over 80%, eight out of 10, they say and the statistic is still relevant today that the, the kids that grow up in the church, they're steeped in the things of the, of the word and, and they grow up in it. Then they go off to college, to some university and many of them are just like, I can't wait to get on my own. I've heard that many, many times. I just can't wait to get on my own and I just have to answer to me and nobody else and that's such a lie. Because <laughs> we're gonna, I'm gonna tell you, every, especially the older people that are here today, our seniors, it's like, 
is it not true that we always have to answer to somebody? Come on, you know, you know that. Well, we got to answer. And they leave it. It's like, and they get out from underneath their parents' covering. I'm going to do my own thing. And then they, they don't realize that they're becoming vulnerable immediately when they step on that campus. And like a Daniel and a Meshach and Abednego and Shadrach, they come in there. And all of a sudden, they, they don't even see it coming that the college and the professor wants to indoctrinate, indoctrinate them in secularism and relativism and all of those things that, that they get exposed to. And they're just like a wide open target for hell itself. I'm like, so Chandler, when you went to ASU, what, what kept you from, from falling into that, you know, 80% mark of, by the time they graduate, 80% or plus have walked away from their faith? It's tragic. They just started probably with little compromises. They didn't go in purposing in their heart that they're going to stand for the Lord no matter what it costs them. They, they didn't have a made-up mind when they walked in, onto the campus and became a freshman student. And he's like, you know, it made a big difference for me of, is that I found other believers that weren't just cultural Christians, but they were sincere, legitimate, genuine Christians. He said that was huge for him. And I think that Daniel was in that situation where he wasn't completely alone. He had three of his friends there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that, that probably stood there. They prayed together. They were sincere, genuine Christians. They probably determined together, we're going to stand for you know, what we believe in, no matter what. Even if it costs us our life here, they were genuine. They weren't cultural believers, but they were sincere, genuine Christians. And it, and it was a catalyst for them, no doubt. They purposed in their heart, and they made up their minds. Now, that really is like a, it's like an introduction. And I thought about this this week as I'm reading just that one verse in chapter 1 that, that Daniel had already made up his mind of what he was going to do. And I think this is so important for us that they say, if you don't believe in something, you'll fall for anything. And how can you purpose in your heart if you don't have a set of standards and convictions and you don't understand the word of the Lord for your life? You know, it's so important that we teach our children and our teenagers not just doctrine, but we teach them convictions and we, we teach them how to stand on their own two feet knowing that there's going to be a day when they get to leave the covering of the home and mom and dad. And, and by the way, when I got married when I was 33 years old, but I realized biblically that when the Bible says in Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Even though I didn't live under the natural roof of my parents, I didn't live in their home, but spiritually I understood in my heart, I'm still under their authority and their covering. They don't tell me what to do. They don't call me up at night like, where are you? And when Bridget and I started dating and I brought her to my house, I wanted my parents to meet her and and I wanted my parents' blessing when I decided to get married. It's like, I, I wanted them to bless it. And I wanted to honor my parents because I thought until I get married, I really am still under their covering spiritually. And, and God just so honored that. It was an amazing moment when we got married and her parents who are strong believers and my parents, we've just been blessed with parents that are strong believers. And taught us how to live an uncompromising life and they came up with our pastor pastors her pastor and my pastor and at the end of the wedding ceremony after the covenant of marriage was made and they laid their hands 
on us, the parents, the pastor, this covering, and they prayed this blessing over us. And I thought to myself, that didn't happen by accident. That happened because way before I was 33 years old and got married, you're probably thinking, why did you wait so long? Well, it's because I had to wait for Bridget to grow up. That's why. <laughs> but many moments and many times where, and I've shared some of those stories with you, it's like I just purposed in my heart certain things that I won't, I'm not going there. There was times with some of my cultural Christian friends where I got so angry, I'm a, I, I just said to them, I remember one time and it shocked them. I just looked at them and I won't even tell you the scenario. And I just said, you know what? That's sin and I don't want any part of it. And it just kind of like, okay, well, we didn't know you felt that strong about it. I do, I feel that strong about it. I purposed in my heart, I've, I've made up my mind. They never asked me again. <laughs> It was those moments and decisions that, that brought me to those special moments of honor and grace and people in authority over me and, and my ministry has benefited from it. And I want my sons to really hear this because as leaders, we, we didn't raise them just to be good sons in the home, but we raised our sons to be leaders, and to be role models, to be examples. Not perfect by any means, but just pure in their heart and like a Daniel. And I was praying that. As I went into this chapter, I was praying, God, I want my sons to be like Daniel. They don't have to be like me in all my weirdness. I want to be my dad, but I want them to be like a Daniel. Make them like a Daniel. 